Why is sexual harassment so pervasive and so hard to address? Let's interrogate the whole system. Hi, my name is Jody Cantor. I'm an investigative reporter for the New York Times. What have you got? I was told that the wrongdoing in Hollywood is overwhelming. I don't want to be quoted, period. Understood. In your previous stories, how did you persuade women to tell you what had happened to them? A case I made was, I can't change what happened to you in the past, but together we may be able to help protect other people. The truth, basically. Lisa's gone crazy. She's let me open up the pod here. Let's pray I don't screw it up. Maybe maybe I already have by saying that. I don't know. Welcome to Killer Casting. Uh, this is Dean Laffin, and I am here with my, well, uh, if, if I'm her wingman, that may, I don't know. Am I Goose? She's Maverick. It's something like that. <laughs> the female version thereof. Joining me, of course, is, uh, is the boss lady herself from Hollywood, California. It's Lisa Zambetti. Welcome, Hey-o. Hey, everybody. It's Lisa Z. Um, you know who we are. We're doing this killer casting thing. I am a casting. I'm a casting director. Oh, my God, Dean. I so want to tell you who we have cast for this Audible original. Oh, again. Can you finally tell me or are you still teasing me? I can't. I can't tell you. I mean, it's closed. He's closed and she's closed and another really amazing act. I mean, the cast is amazing, but I just. So hang on. So wait a sec. Go back that way because I cut you off. So this is for the new Audible project or a book project? Is that right? So this is a new Audible original series. It's a scripted. Audible series, obviously, audio mm-hmm. series, written by the one and only Jim Clemente. <gasps> and it's based on a true story of Los Angeles' mm. first serial killer. So this is circa 1920s. Um, and the actor we got, we have cast as Bluebeard, I'm so excited about. And and all the surrounding cast, too. I can't wait. But, you know, it hasn't... It hasn't uh, hit publicity yet so i can't say it but anyway i will talk about it and maybe jim can come on and talk about the process you know after but it, it's sounds, been just that sounds that sounds good it's amazing it's just been a roller coaster um but we're not here to well, talk about what no no i was gonna say and then when we do because apparently this is the second time that you've teased both me and the listeners with this so <laughs> considering we the podcast is called killer casting and no one said it had to be limited to film or tv and visual so maybe right. then we can, you can come on and talk about the uh killer casting job that some anonymous casting director did in getting these people onto this project, <laughs> huh? i will <laughs> indeed talk all about it but that's not what we're here to talk about no so- we're not no, we're here to talk about, and you know, by the way, can I just say it's so nice that it's just you and me. I mean, we've had some amazing guests over the past few months. You're right. It, it's just it, us. It's just us chickens here. So oh, we no, the kids have, the kids have left the left home. They've just left mom and dad in the, in the uh, big house by absolutely, themselves. Absolutely. But the reason is, is I want to get your honest um, reaction to the film we're going to talk about today, a film that is very important to me and I think to many, many victims out there and that's the film she said Dean, do you want to just nutshell like what she said is about and all that stuff where it comes from okay so this is the story of the investigation that was published in the new york times and written by jody cantor and megan tui 
And it's the story of how they investigated meticulously and very carefully and very uh, so difficult to, to get to, uh, to the people to could tell the story to bring down, not bring down Harvey Weinstein, but Bruce, begin to bring him to justice. And it is a cracker. It is a cracker of a screenplay. We're going to talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit further. But, yeah, that's, that's in a nutshell, is the story. And I love the title of it as well, that play on, it's a pl- not a play on words, but it's, of course, the second half of the he said, she said. Right. So it's the she said part of the equation, putting the female voice back into those disbelieving, you know, it just so echoes that whole thing. Wow, you know, oh, really? Oh, you reckon he did that? Did he? Well, you know, it's all he said, she said. This yeah, his, his world, his word against hers, and mm-hmm. now we get her word. And so, yes, Correct. so as you say, it's it's based on the book she said that Cantor and Tui wrote after they published a series of articles trying to expose the behavior of Harvey Weinstein, who at that time was the most powerful, the most famous producer in Hollywood and around the world. And so, it's their journey, and and when I. We have a connection to this film because Sarah Ann Massey came on Killer Casting. Dean, you weren't here for this, but she came on to talk about her experience as someone who was assaulted by Harvey Weinstein and talk about, and she talked about the or, the organization, the nonprofit that she started called Higher Survivors Hollywood that is about, it's for and about victims um, of sexual assault, sexual harassment in Hollywood who are basically softly shunned once um, they are assaulted, if they come forward, even if they don't come forward, if they don't reciprocate, sometimes they can have a really hard time finding work. So Sarah was on our show. And at that time, I didn't realize that she was a part of this film, but she is just such an incredible advocate because when she heard that this film was casting and she has such a connection to Harvey Weinstein's story, she picked up the phone and called Universal. She she actually called the, the main switchboard and finally got passed around and passed around and passed around and finally talked to someone and said, hey, you know, if you're casting this film that is, you know, about the expose of Harvey Weinstein and about his victims, you might want to cast some of the people that he's victimized Mm. and the wonderful thing that you know universal completely embraced that and francine Maisler, who did the casting you know she was able to cast a couple of the victims in supporting roles including sarah ann massey who has a very nice little cameo supporting role in the film she's in the beginning dean i don't know if you recognized her but she's one of the reporters in the beginning who's actually trying to do an expose on Donald Trump and uh, the allegations oh, against Donald Trump. Yes, so yes, she's in the beginning course. with that. Yeah, I didn't pick it up at the time, but now that you mention it, yes. So, you know, I'm telling, I'm manifesting right here, right now, that this film should absolutely guest, get best picture, you know, best adapted screenplay and a best actress for definitely for Zoe Kazan and, you know, maybe for Jennifer Ailey for uh, her supporting role as Laura Madden, mm, one of his oh, victims. Brilliant. I mean, there's just so many great, yeah. great performances. We're going to get into that. And it's, you know, the, the the supporting characters in this are all like the who's who of New York theater. It's a high, high prestige cast even if it's not a high profile cast i mean it's not the cast yes, of the avengers right. yeah. it's not the cast of the no. avengers but it is this is it's just not a, it's, like, it's not an a-list cast where people were going to look at them and go oh my god it's got you know this one this one this one this one this one this one and this one in it but when you look at the performances they're all it's it's an incredible it's 
You know what? I just it just popped into my head. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and it was talking about Michael Lewis, the guy that wrote Moneyball. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I'm going to put yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, no. bring these threads together, people. Yeah, yeah. And the whole the whole uh, you know thing about Moneyball was this guy Billy Beans, the um, the coach of the Oakland A's, who instead of recruiting a team of superstars, had this incredibly even team. Like that was his secret: was go out and find people who are really good, but not absolute superstars, because we don't have the money to buy them. That's not saying that this that the actors in this cast haven't been incredibly well cast and aren't incredibly um, terrific. They are, but what I'm saying is that it 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 doesn't have a an Al Pacino and a and a this and a that. It's not like their names that are gonna people are gonna look at and go, oh wow, that's got a massive cast. But when you walk out of the film, make no mistake, you know you've seen a brilliant performance right yeah. across the board. Yeah, I mean it's kind across of the board. As you say, it's kind of an inside baseball cast. I mean, this mm. is a casting director's dream. You have Patricia Clarkson. Oh, you wow. have you have Frank Wood. I mean, you have the who's who of um, Broadway, New York theater in this cast. I mean, so many actors I recognize. Sean Cullen. I mean, yeah, I Sean I, Cullen. I, he was great. So uh, good. Yeah, and, and we'll we'll get into that. So I went to so I so I already you know really wanted to see this film, and I was very fortunate because Sarah Ann invited me to a special screening that Universal did just for the members of Higher Survivors Hollywood, which I am a I'm on the advisory board of. So um you can imagine that this screening was filled with mm. survivors, with victims, not necessarily of Harvey Weinstein, but you know, people who women mainly, but not all women, who've been victimized, who've been brutalized in this industry and beyond. So it was jam-packed screening and um some of the real victims uh rowena, rowena chu was there who is depicted in the movie oh, right. of course yep. sarah ann massey was there and adam shapiro was there who plays jody Cantor's husband so right. zoe kazan's husband oh he was great yeah. yeah and so there was a panel after the movie and Rowena got to talk about what it's like to watch her life and her trauma, you know, Mm. on screen. And we're going to talk about how they depict it and how they don't depict it. But one thing that Adam said, uh, one thing I should say that at the end of the screening, I think there was not a dry eye in the house. Mm. And at the end of the screening during the panel, the moderator who was, I can't remember her name, but she was a wonderful moderator from women in film said, you know, you sitting here in this audience tonight, you may have been very triggered by this movie. You know, you may be feeling really big feelings having to, mm. you know, watch what we watched um, and really, you know, hold yourself close and practice some self-care. Um, mm. So I, I really appreciated that because I think people were very moved by the film. But mm. one thing that Adam Shapiro said uh, on this panel when he was asked, you know, about being in the film, what it was like being in the film. And he said he was thrilled to do the film because he always wanted to be in a superhero movie. And I think that <laughs> it is, that is just so true. Um, yeah. Before we, but before, but what I want, I have to do a little side pivot here, Dean, because one right. of the reasons why I texted you and said, we have to jump on right away, right away, right away to talk about this, you know, even though I'm recovering from COVID and, you know, I'm oh, just like. Again? Is that your second bout? <laughs> no, no, it's not my second bout, but it's lasted forever. It has just lasted oh, forever. Okay. In fact, I tested positive the day after I saw the movie. And so, I know you just saw it yesterday, right? Or today? Uh, I saw it yesterday. yesterday. Uh, yeah, pretty much exactly 24 hours ago. Right. So you're, mem- you're going to probably remember a lot more of it than I do because I immediately plunged into a COVID haze. 
for the last nine days. But but anyway, so I love to go to sleep listening to podcasts. It's just I always have. Um, really? even, even when I was a little kid, I loved to listen to the radio, just have voices talking, you know, talk radio, AM radio through the night. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was falling asleep the other night having COVID <laughs> and I had my podcast on. And it's a podcast that I love, and I really support this podcaster, uh, Matt Bellany. Um, I've he was an editor and writer for the Hollywood Reporter for years, and he has a new pod, a relatively new podcast called uh, the, uh, the Town. And I follow him in a new media venture that he has called Puck News. And you know, I really, you know, I really love his take on things. He used to chime in. Those of you out here listening, if you ever listened to Kim Masters and her radio show called The Business, um, he would be a frequent contributor. Anyway, so I I usually really love his perspective. So I'm listening, I'm almost falling asleep and he's blah, blah, blahing about something about Oscars and possible Oscar nominations, blah, blah, blah. And then he pivots and starts talking about she said. And I just, if you'll indulge me, Dean, I want to read you read you what he says. I think I sent it to you, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the whole book. Yeah, let's let's share that with the listeners. Absolutely. So he says, this is what he says. This is a $32 million movie that is based on the hunt for Harvey Weinstein. I just don't know who this movie is for. I can't understand how it got made. And I saw it and I liked it. It's a good journalism movie, but I wonder why this movie happened. It's not Spotlight. Spotlight was about the Catholic Church, a revered global institution that was covering up this horrible behavior. Harvey Weinstein is a Hollywood producer. Most general movie audiences probably assume he was a creep. And he's not in the movie at all. They don't include him. So it's really about unmasking this evil guy that the audience kind of probably knew already was evil. It was more interesting to see this big entity go down. He's meaning the Catholic Church. I just feel the stakes are lower. And Harvey's on trial again in L.A. right now, and so many people are trying to avoid these headlines. There's an ick factor to it all. And it is also not a very visual movie. You wonder if the whole thing couldn't have just been a podcast, because it's a very interesting hunt uh, for how they found sources to expose him. And maybe I'm biased because I read all the books. I read everything. I was involved. Literally, a story I worked on is in the movie. They talk about a Hollywood reporter story I worked on. End quote. Matt, I mean, he's never going to hear this. <laughs> you know, I'm just a little tiny fly in the world um, that Matt Bellany is in. But I have to tell you something, Matt. There are really important reasons why this movie was made. And no, you're right. It is not the testosterone-fueled juggernaut like Top Gun Maverick, which was a $170 million film that made back almost all of its money its first weekend. No, mm. this is a $32 million film that is not going to make, you know, you know, hardly anything in its first weekend. It's going to take many, many weekends for it to recoup. And, you know, hopefully with award season coming around, more and more people will see it. But I have to tell you, I can tell you why this movie got made. And I 
it like the film or hate the film, that's fine. But to basically give this sort of shrug, right? This aural shrug, A-U-R-A-L shrug. Like, why should this movie have been made? I can tell you why. Because the female reporters who tirelessly chased this story and were cock-blocked at every turn, mm. the women victims who had the courage to come forward on the record and tell their story despite threats and backlash, they are fucking superheroes. They are rock stars and their voices deserve to be heard. And I can promise you, Matt, that this film mattered. Who is this film for? It mattered to each and every person in the audience of the screening that I was in, you know? And Dean, I have to tell you that I'm very shocked that somebody like Bellany, who's been, you know, Hollywood reporter for many years, as he said, he's, you know, reported about Harvey Weinstein. He knows the kind of trauma that this guy yeah. inflicted not just on Hollywood, in New York, in London, in you know across Hong the globe. Uh, yes, across across the globe. And Dean, he's married to a manager, a, a female manager, a very successful, high-powered manager. And you'd think that he'd have a glimmer of why it is so important and imperative that a movie like this be made. You know, not just because. He's been in the business for so long. His wife is in the business. But I can tell you that his wife's clients at some point, some of her clients have been victimized, if not by Harvey Weinstein. And, and by the way, one of her clients is on the record as having a very horrible encounter with Harvey Weinstein. But many of her clients have been the victims of somebody in this business. Mm. And it's just so shocking. And the other thing I would say is, you know, the big bombshell in this film, and, you know, and we'll break it all down, is the part where it's not just about Weinstein. It is all of his mm. enablers and protectors and, yeah. and Rowena Chu having to have a part of her NDA say that she will not get therapy. Yeah. Oh, that, that's the conditions around the NDAs were unbelievable, weren't they? Yeah, she, How she about was, the fact that that the, they didn't even get copies of their own NDA? They weren't allowed. Yes, copy. they were not oh allowed to have copies of their I own NDA. Yeah, I'm like, is that even legal? How can you not get a copy yeah. of your own NDA? That's ridiculous. So, so just to sort of, you know, we're gonna, you know, All right, okay, okay, now, hang on. Now, uh, sorry, before we move off, Matt, let me tell you something about the words that when I when you first sent them to me. And when you just read them back, and I just sat and listened to you very carefully as you said them, it's, I am just gobsmacked. Like, especially being an industry insider, as he is, he has no excuse then for those words. Now, you might not want to take him to task, but I don't give a shit who he is, right? That says, that to me says a lot more. You know, when people say things and they think they're, they're commenting about something, but in fact, they say it reveals much more about them than it does about what they're talking about or what they say. Mm -hmm. And that's the case with Matt. That is so dismissive and so disrespectful and just so clueless. How can you be so clueless? Like yeah. you would expect that possibly from a member of the public, but from somebody in his position, as you've just described to me, I don't know him. Um, I've never heard of him until you mentioned him to me. But now that you've described his position, that's just whack. That's like saying, oh, I watched that movie, All the President's Men, and, you know, it's really just for Beltway insiders. I wouldn't bother with it. It's like, fuck off. 
Yeah. Well, and the, and the thing is that it's almost like he's saying, well, I'm just really bored with this subject. And there's kind of an yeah. ick factor. An <laughs> ick factor an to ick it? Factor. That's an understatement of the fucking century. <laughs> yes, there is an ick factor ah. to it. And Can those, we just get over it? Can we move on, please? Yeah, I'm sick of this just, topic. Jesus. The callousness of yes. this was just unbelievable. And I just, I mean, he doesn't give a shit what I think, but it's just so, you know, of course, and I immediately like canceled my subscription to Puck and I wrote this very fiery email <laughs> to the to un- the unsubscribe, uh. which is probably not even read by a real person. It's probably like a bot that is just like bleep, 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 unsubscribe, you know. But it's just so disappointing because his podcast does have reach. And when somebody like that is just so casually callous and like meh you know mm. rolling but you know what lisa that but that just echoed doesn't it that reaction echoes exactly the problem that the girls were up against yeah it's like yeah. you know it's the it's, it's it's that's that's literally it's a different take on oh well you know it's a case of he said she said or oh you know everybody knows what harvey's like or blah 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 everybody making excuses men making excuses but even as you say like they were cock blocked everywhere for this but even when they went to that house and they knocked on the door of the woman who was hosting a party and they said hey we're from the new york times we're here to ask you a question about harvey weinstein and she just face went pale and just closed the door nobody wanted to they were blocked everywhere but particularly by the guys and when they were particularly they were also blocked by the new york times itself which what the the film does not get into but what i've been reading recently is that you know mm. decades before um Tui and Cantor got onto mm. this story. There was another reporter named Sharon Waxman who tried to report about this, which was probably more contemporaneous with when some of these women were being assaulted. And she was absolutely shut down by the New York Times powers that be at the time. And then when there was a change in management, then there was um, more um, appetite to yep. try to get through the libelous, you know, waters of trying to cover the story. And I want to just read you what, and one more person I'm a little mad at is mm. Peter Bart, which I don't know if you know who Peter yeah, Bart is. Of course. Is, but he's yeah, a legend. Absolutely. Yes, he's a legend. Easy Riders. Wasn't that Easy Riders Raging Bulls? That was him, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. No, so no, no. No, he was, um, uh, Peter Bart wrote Who Killed Hollywood? Well, he was in the kid stays in the picture. He's he's a very famous um, yes. former studio executive. He's been a journalist, uh, you know, writing about Hollywood for many many years for many publications. But just today, I was reading that he was taking issue with the fact of that that this film really needed Tom McCarthy as the writer because Tom McCarthy very famously wrote the original screenplay for Spotlight and. Um, which was amazing, and he's well, he I'm was also have words he, to say about that because I, I particularly want to talk about the screenplay. And he also was he actually played in, he was an actor and he in the wire and he actually played a journalist, but he also has a, a ABC series right now called Alaska Daily that is about a you know a journalist working in Alaska. Anyway, but but Peter Bart's point is that they needed a writer, a better writer for this because she said lacks jeopardy and lacks a heavy. And I'm like, only somebody who only somebody who has not walked in a woman's shoes in 2022 mm. or 1922 or 1822 can watch this movie and think that there is no jeopardy, that there is well. no terror, that there is no risk, that there is no drama, that there is no trauma. 
I don't know how you can look at this film, Dean, and not see the jeopardy. And that, and we don't have to see Harvey Weinstein's face. And by the way, I'm so glad. Oh yeah, don't see his face. Yeah, and you all, and you do see faces who are looking at him and not buying his big. You just see the back of his big fat ugly head, and and Um, that's about it. We have seen his face for decades. We We don't need to see it anymore. Exactly. And this is the exact reason why on Real Crime Profile, as you know, my other podcast, Mm. that for so long we have eschewed even saying the offender's name. And we've covered some of the biggest cases ever in the true crime space. And we have worked very, Mm. very hard to not mention the offender's name because we want to mention the victim's names. I mean, if I asked you... You know, who is um, Mei Leung? Who is who was nine-year-old Mei Leung? Most people would never in a million years be able to tell you who she was, mm-hmm. but they would immediately recognize her murderer's face, his name, his persona. And yeah. so that's why we really just... Uh, We've always wanted to change the narrative as much as we could. And I love that this film did that too, that it tried to put a face and a name and a life behind the victims. Mm. Yeah. And and look, to to your point about uh, about Peter and and his claims, uh, Mr. Google tells me that Peter Barr, as of today, is a 90-year-old, 90-year-old white male He's yes. been inside Hollywood for decades and decades. So I would suggest that's a pretty let's let me let me put this nicely. I guess if I was in that position, I would find it tough to get a perspective on that as well. In other words, if you're part of it, if you're inside the fabric of that, like anything, we've all been inside the fabric of something and you can't see the forest for the trees, that kind of analogy. So that's yeah. the kindest way that I that's the kindest thing that I could say about about the about Peter's words. But but um, look, in terms of them needing a better screenplay, let's 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 unzip that a little bit because one of I think two of the things that made this film so extraordinary and so moving were the screenplay and the casting, and so the and the well and the performances therefore of those people cast. But the screenplay in particular, I felt I made notes. I took notes into the cinema and I yeah. scribbled notes. I sat in the back row with my new little toy, which I showed Lisa. I, I bought this like a tactical LED, like a, <laughs> like a Navy SEAL light. It's a green light that doesn't really, you can see, but you can't really see it. I really hope so, people didn't think you were doing something really whack. I mean, with uh, well, this, I, with I, this. I did ask the two girls who were closest in front of me, oh, did you God. see the light behind you? And they said, no, they didn't. They didn't see it. I was like, okay, great, because oh, I was making God. notes. I can use it again. Anyway, um, but I thought the screenplay was deceptively and just so beautifully simple. And oddly enough, um, just this morning I, in, in sort of getting ready for this, I was looking at a couple of reviews and Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian, shout out to Peter, who I love his reviews. He's really good. He called it, and I'll quote him, an admirably straightforward telling of the story. Admirably straightforward. And I just thought that the way that the screenplay was done by Rebecca Lankowitz is it's so sparsely beautiful and it just moves and builds. I made the notes slow burn. It's not a slow burn. It's a slow build. And so as as the film unfolds, you find the two leads are coming closer and closer together and working more and more. 
And the way that the screenplay is written and the way that they've ended up editing the film, and I'm assuming it was close to the way it was written as a screenplay, is the way that they cut between the two leads and then as they start to bring in the victims and the other characters, they're all weighted just perfectly in terms of their screen time. And while we're talking about that, Lisa, recently we gave shout-out to the good use of flashbacks. And I mm-hmm. thought that the flashbacks in this were absolutely superb. I think it was the when Rowena was talking and the camera is that they do a flashback and she's saying how Harvey, you know, kind of goaded and, 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 and um, shamed her almost into, you know, taking off her shirt and doing this and doing that. And then the camera's just slowly panning over a hotel floor. Mm-hmm. You see her clothes. You see the edge of the bed. And it's just slowly panning across, nothing gratuitous, no. no sound, no dialogue, no nothing. And I just thought that is absolutely brilliant. And that's also um, at the hands of director Maria Schrader. And this is what I want to say, just, just to go back to what Peter Bart is saying. He doesn't say this, but this is what it feels like. Um, that he's basically saying, well, what this movie really needed was a dude. <laughs> You know, I mean, he's not not saying that, Mm. but that's kind of what the effect is. And this film is so particular that it is such a female gaze, a stark, hard stare. It's not even a gaze. It's a stare right back. And that stare comes from director Maria Schrader, as you mentioned, Mm. writer Rebecca Lankowitz. And of course, the 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 source material mm. by Jody yep. and Megan and Rebecca Corbett, but then also, you know, the producers, many of them being women um, it, and just the way it isn't gratuitous, but it's still terrifying. That's what I don't think people mm. like Matt and Peter part understand like watching a woman being trapped in a bathroom because Harvey Weinstein is jerking it and ready to mm. pounce on her yeah. Yeah. is terrifying. Yeah. You know, it, it, and it's a psychological thriller and it's, it's so many things. Oh, just um, the way that they were, you know, that were basically stalked. They were followed by Harvey Weinstein. They got phone calls threatening that disgusting phone call that she got, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rape you and I'm going to kill you. And that's all this stuff. It's like, that would be scary as hell. Yeah. Of course, you know, and then you got, I mean, Rowena had to run away to Hong Kong, wanted to try to kill herself. She mm-hmm. said in the film, I'm yeah. assuming it's true. She I'll tried to kill true. herself twice. Right. Actually. I mean, yeah. you know, so, you know, as, as you said, per the other comments about, oh, it doesn't lack sufficient, what was the word? Not gravitas. You said, what was the, what was the comment? The, he thought it lacked. <laughs> he wrote it. Um, it lacked, uh, it like, I think it lacked, it lacked jeopardy. Oh yeah, there's not enough jeopardy in that for you. Which is, okay. which he says is a key element to drama. Thank you very much, Professor Bart. And and I love I love Peter Bart. I mean, he is such a, a I love his book. Who kills Hollywood? Such an institution, but I just feel there's just a tone deaf to some of these comments. And now you don't have to love the movie, and there you don't have to even explain why you don't like a movie. If it's not for you, you don't. You know, it just doesn't. It doesn't. You don't feel it. That's completely fine. But to question why it even exists is just so incredibly shocking when you meet you know these characters and it's so they're just so well drawn even in the brief 
minutes that we meet them, the terror mm. and how this, you know, young reporter knocking on their door, you know, asking questions about their time with Harvey Weinstein just fills them with mm. absolute terror. Yet they, we can see they want to talk. They oh, want yeah. to tell their story. Um I and also, and so did yeah. yeah so not, not want to talk well okay so in the film and in the screenplay at least the way that um, Lanny the uh, the lawyer but and, and Irwin of course who helps unravel the whole thing by leaving his phone on the on the dare on the right. on the table and, and saying do with, do with this do with this He's yeah it's so He's good so great yeah such great cameos um and um uh, but there's Irwin who knows he he said okay I knew that bad things were happening but I didn't know it was that this way so here's the phone do with it what you will he goes to the bathroom but there was a scene there where even Lanny she says to him she says Lanny this is going to come out he goes yeah I know it will so he knows that it's going to come out and yet he's still playing his role he's still you know protecting because I think that they didn't really realize because at that time, I mean, Harvey Weinstein was just so bulletproof, you know, mm. I just don't think anybody really felt. And plus, they'd done this. They'd had these NDAs and they would paid off so many people and so many people were complicit. Even mm. other women, they called them the honeypots. Um, right. Read Ronan Farrow's, who is another, you know, hero, of course, in the in the big saga, in the big picture of bringing of exposing Harvey Weinstein was Ronan Farrow and and, you know, other writers. Um but they're called honeypots and there are other women who make the soon to be victim feel safe. Right? Well, just like Epstein. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Same, same and, model. And yeah. Well, and that's the other thing I was going to say is, is that the other reason why, you know, this film needs to be made is to really keep showing that investigative journalism matters. Good media um, responsible media, dogged, determined media matters. We would not have found out about Larry Nasser. We would mm. not have found out Ugh. about Jeffrey Epstein um, yeah. and so many other just blatant offenders without the media, without journalists who, as they show so well in this film, and they certainly showed in Spotlight, you know, how how responsible media functions, that it's not tabloid journalism it's not fake news where they're just gonna just say anything without <laughs> uh, without a backup that you have to have confirmation cross-checking fact-checking mm. that there's so much that goes into it before they will hit um what is this, this is that great scene near the end of the movie where they're all like hovering over the computer and, not and, near the end it is the end it's the it, final yeah. scene of the movie right, where they're where, all reading the copy and just right. making sure that and they're that all cursor happy. is like just vibrating over the the, the, publish. The, the publish you know yeah, button yeah. and and talk about i mean my 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 heart was in my throat you know when that was happening right. so I, I found it just um spellbound and i guess we're just kind of spoiling everything but i guess you can't not spoil because we all know well, that harvey, harvey weinstein did was convicted and, yes yeah you know, did eventually <laughs> heads up people and he's on trial again and he's on did trial he? again yes which is even more powerful i mean when we we were sitting in that screening room and just that day I think it, that was the, the Jennifer Newsom, you know, uh -huh. got on the stand and told her story and, you know, victims are coming forward and telling their story. I mean, that makes it even more powerful. It's not about mm. an ick factor. I mean, these are real lives. These are real people. And there is there's a sequence. That's such of a childish phrase, isn't it? It's like, oh, I, oh, it's so yucky. I don't want to think about it. 
Oh, really? How do they, how do you the think the it? victims feel about it? And that's the Jesus thing. It's like Christ. we have to unsilence people. Mm. We have to speak for the voices. And yes, I don't know when they're going to make back that $32 million budget. And it probably costs that much because they filmed on location in New York in the Real Times building. Mm. Um, because they took such care with the production values. Um yep. And and good for them and good for Universal for, for making it happen and all of the the different um, studios that had to come together and production companies that had to come together yeah, and make it happen. Amazing. Um, hey, speaking of the New York Times and speaking of casting as we were, uh, how good a job both in the casting and in the performance were Patricia Clarkson and Andre Brower? The best. Man, don't you want? I want to. If I, well, I've been self-employed for so long, it's uh, I can't forget what it's like to have a boss. But if I ever get a boss again, I want one like Andre Brower. Yeah, he <laughs> was absolutely fucking badass in this. Yeah. I just love the scenes where, where he he was um he's on the phone and he said um he said let let, let me uh get there he goes uh. Okay, it's. Uh, I'm not going to try and imitate his voice. Okay, it's been 90 minutes. We're going to wrap it up now, Harvey. Click, and he just hangs up on him. <laughs> boom, like gone. And then he did the same thing to Lanny when he was sitting around the table with Lanny and the two reporters. And he said, "Listen, I got a paper to put out. I'll leave you with the reporters. Bye." And just walks out, like just like fucking badass. I just loved it. Such a fan of that man. I mean, and the one thing about Patricia Clarkson, you know, many years ago when I was a fledgling actor, just come to New York and I was feeling so lost and just, is this even going to work? How am I going to make this work? And somebody gave me a free ticket to go see a Nikki Silver play. Remember now it was called, it might've been pterodactyls. I don't know, but Patricia Clarkson was in the play and I'd never heard of her before. I never saw her before, but she walked out and just the way she walked on stage got a huge round of applause and just okay. watching her performance was so amazing. And I just was like, I have to keep going. I just have to, I have to do that that thing that she is doing and and a few <laughs> years later i did do that and i was on broadway and you know um i certainly didn't have the career that she had nobody could but but she's just for a lot of people she's a real touchstone just her mm. i mean just her performance in high art i don't know if you've ever seen that movie but it was no, like a, a, a comeback for ali sheedy and she's oh yeah in the movie and she's incredible but anyway um um, speaking on just on the on, before we move off the production side of things, I had I knew nothing about the director, mm -hmm. and so I all the only thing I know about her is just having just googled it today and IMDb and so on. So she seems to be a German actress turned director. Do you know anything about her? Where she's come from and any backstory to that? Because she's done a fantastic job. Um, I just know what her credits are. Yeah, Maria That's, Schrader. So, I mean, yeah. She, She's done. She's done. She's done that. That was a great job. So I think her. Oh, well, and she Rebecca, did unorth. I know unorthodox. Unorthodox. So yes. This is a, a. You know. This is a director who understands New York. Certainly. Um. I don't know what her um bio is. Mm, yeah. No. I just. It, she sort of seems to. She's come out of nowhere to me. So in other words, I can't wait to see her next thing. <laughs> it's yeah. Always, I mean, yeah. It's, it's just the, the curse I mean, of the artist, like you know, musicians or filmmakers, like you consume it in ninety minutes or two hours and go, "That's great. What are you working on next?" It's like, 
What's another two years in my yeah. life? Thanks. <laughs> I mean, she's just like, she just understood where to put the camera, how long to have the camera linger, how long to let scenes breathe. I mean, the scene that, um, that scene with Samantha Morton, who, um, is playing a source who will not go on the record, but who mm -hmm. is giving intense background oh, about yes, the NDAs. Yes. And yep. I mean, that scene is just a terrifying scene. And it's just two women having tea in a cafe. And one is telling just big, big truths and in, terrifying truths about yeah, how far. Uh, uh, well, how, how much bigger it was. And a couple of the things that really hit me was, um, I forget it, who was it. I think it was the was it the CFO of of um, Miramax who said, "Why are you asking about these things from the nineties? Like, what? Why aren't you asking about all the recent stuff?" Right. <laughs> that was just right. like, and then they're just looking at him like, "Ah, uh, <laughs> okay." And the fact that um, Lanny confirmed that they were sort of fixated on how many settlements there were, and you know, this eight to twelve. It's like, you know, right. Lenny, we, we've got like 8 to 12, and he's like eventually they're fencing around it in that yeah. sort of meeting that she had with him and, and Kerry Mulligan's character. And and uh, and then he goes, look, yeah, I can confirm that that number is, you know, it's, it's in the ballpark, 8 to 12. And I noticed in the final credits that following subsequent to the publication and, and, and then the whole airing of it, 82 women mm. came forward. Now, Lisa and listeners who are fans of true crime and people just generally may know, if 82 people came forward, women came forward, how many didn't? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a multiple of yeah. that number, a yeah. multiple. And so there they are on 10 to 12 going, wow, it could be 10 to 12, you know, settlements and cases. The number is actually in the hundreds. It's just. And, you know, a lot of people may say, well, why didn't they go to the police? Why didn't they go to the police? No, I mean, please. you just have to understand where you're when you're in that bubble. It just you go to your your next report. You know, you go to the HR department or you go or you confide in your boss. And they're basically shocked that you're they're not shocked that he behaved this way. They're shocked that you're voicing it. Yes, that you're yeah, saying yeah. it out loud, and so you're deterred and deterred and deterred from from anything. Just just even on, on a civil mm. level of mm. of going after him. Never mind on a criminal level. And Dean, you know, we haven't talked about this yet, but the reason why people don't go to the police is exactly what was revealed by the New York State Attorney General just last month. And actually, ironically enough, I, I know this because Matthew. <laughs> Because Matt Bellany reported on it, but <laughs> but when a woman accused Les Moonves, who was the head of CBS at the time, when she went to the police to report that he had tried to rape her, the police officer picked up the phone and called Les Moonves. Oh my god! And told his team, "Hey." We have somebody here who's accusing him of this. You better get your ducks in a row and get your stories straight. And and when he was finally ousted um, from CBS or left, whatever you, whatever you want to say, he left from CBS, this same police officer is on the record saying, yeah, it's such a shame. This is what we were trying to, to prevent from happening. I mean, this is the police yeah. who is betraying a victim. 
like this. This is why women and and men yeah. don't report. And this is yeah. why that they were able, you know, the only recourse they had was, you know, threatening, you know, to go public or, or you know, and settling with these ironclad NDAs that kept them silent, that actually hurt their careers, kept them out of work. You know, finished careers. Finished yeah. careers. They kept them in hiding. I mean, Rowena Chu was in hiding for like 20 years yeah. after this happened. Um, and was asked again and again and again to go on the record. And she was just, even after all this time, was so afraid. But you can read her. She has Traumatized. A wonderful, she has a wonderful op-ed piece in the New York Times that she wrote. Oh, um, let's put that in the uh, show not, notes. Remind not me to ago. do that. She, yeah, she wrote this in 2019. And, and right. it starts, I mean, her first, Harvey Weinstein told me he liked Chinese girls. That's that's how that's how it starts. By the way, the other thing that struck me, and I don't know that it's uniquely U.S. centric, but it's probably epitomized by it. How conflicted would the lawyers of these women be when they're receiving up to forty yeah. percent of the settlement? Yeah, yeah. You know, you have, you have that to is just. You have to wonder. There, there's there, that is just. <laughs> uh, it's like, are you kidding? So hang on, let me let me see. I can settle. I, I can convince my client to settle now for a million dollars, and I make four hundred grand. Or we can hang on for another whatever amount of time. I've got to do more work. It's going to string on for another six months, blah, blah, blah. And we might get one and a half. And I, I only get another 200 grand. I'd and rather she have doesn't have any money to pay now. him it's anyway. It's just a broken system. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the other thing that occurred to me, and this was in the film, and, and she goes into it, Rowena goes into it in her article. So when she would meet with Harvey, she would wear two pairs of tights. Yes, I know. Mind-boggling. But you know what that reminds me of, um, Dean? That reminds me of Jimmy Savile, who was oh. a pernicious pedophile. Mm. Um, who worked for the BBC and the BBC knew that he was molesting children um, when he was doing Top of the Pops and a children's show called Jimmy will fix it anyway. And th there was one victim who said this is a victim who he assaulted in her church repeatedly, but she was just a little girl and she would insist to her mom that she wear two pairs of underwear because she thought maybe that will slow him down and some, and he won't have enough time to assault mm. me. I mean, that's what it reminded me of. And, and just, and you know, Jimmy Savile at the time was a very, very powerful oh, yeah. personality who was, who was protected. So anyway, Matt, if you're still listening to this podcast, this is why these films need to be made. And yes, maybe they don't make financial sense. And maybe to some people in Hollywood, it's a real yawn because we all know that Harvey Weinstein was a son of a gun. But obviously these stories need to be told from the victim's point of view. And yeah. they need to keep getting told so that people keep coming forward as, you know, as the Me Too movement or the Time's Up movement, you know, fumbles and kind of goes in and out of the, the public consciousness. There are still victims out there. <laughs> there are still offenders out there. And we need to keep our eyes on that um, anyway. But, you know. In any case, just as a piece of art, I just thought it was just a fantastic, fantastic.
fantastic film and I'm manifesting all the Oscars in the world for everyone. And we haven't even talked about the relationship between the two reporters and their family lives, mm. which was such a great little peek behind the scenes. And, and Dean, just, um, uh, you know how I'm always looking in the background of the set design and the, <laughs> and the art direction. And I just loved, um, um, Oh, what the fuck? Carrie, so Carrie Mulligan plays Megan Toohey, and yep. she's married to my guy, Tom Pelfrey, who I love. Ah. Um, but I love their apartment, and this is such a New York thing. Oh, my for me. God. I it's, actually made a note. I'm like, I'm wait. going, I, I, I'm like, who's playing? Who is that playing? I yes. didn't even. <laughs> He's amazing. But what I loved was we their bed. About him. Was their bedroom. So their bed, their headboard is actually a bookshelf. Yes. And to me, that is just, I mean, I'm sure that there are lots and lots of places that have that. There are lots of cities that have that. But that's such, to me, like such an iconic New York thing because there's so little space. And just, I mean, I just remember having a very similar bed when, when I lived in New York. It was just like strewn with books. And yeah. I don't know, it was just, I just found just so many little details like that um, felt very New York. Even just the, 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 the dark and woody cafes that... So we canter is meeting with Zach Grenier to, you know, to try to pry some truth out of him. Anyway, all those little uh, details are just fantastic. Lots of, lo lots of good stuff in there. I also, I love the scene too, where um, Megan Tui standing in the bar with the echoes of um, promising young woman, where she just tells the guy comes over or sleezing onto her and she just tells yes. him to fuck off. And she's, and then, and then he's like, he doesn't, he doesn't get the message. And she just screams at him. You know the, the same two words, and uh, I'm not going to scream them into the microphone this close. And and then he just walks away, and and of course the, all the boys go frigid bitches. But that was such as just a slap in the face. Yeah. It was just brilliant. Speaking of casting, do you know why? Is there a story? Do you know behind why? I just a, a little you know odd things catch my eye as you know, Lisa and listeners. Um, considering how front and forward she was in it, why Rose McGowan's voice was voiced? In the film, it wasn't her voice. She didn't want to was... do it. She didn't do you know what? She didn't want to do it. She Just didn't want to get tangled up in it. And... For whatever reason, she didn't want to. Yeah, her own so, reasons. You know, and, and that's something I'm we saying should she also... needed to, but I just right, you know. yeah. Um, and that's something that that is was an interesting cameo was Ashley Judd playing herself. Well, well you know, oh, you just ruined my joke. Oh, I was I'm gonna... sorry. I was okay. Well, go ahead. Okay. We're uh, almost at the end. I thought you didn't bring oh, it up. So... No, we'll leave it in. I was going to say, and by the way, speaking of casting. Best casting director, I tell you what, look out for her because how good was the Ashley Judge she cast? <laughs> it was picture perfect. I'm here till Thursday, folks. Try the veal. So, I mean, and that Keep was the waitress. really interesting thing that they sort of mixed in and out. Sometimes they would use mm. the real recording that, you know, yep. famously now. Was that his um, real recording, the, yes, the one of Weinstein? Yes, so that's the real police recording where they wired an actress who right. had reported to them that he tried to rape her. That was her. Uh, Alana Gutierrez, I think. And Yeah, and so then they wired her and had her meet with him again and try to get him on tape admitting By the it. way, since yeah. now I know that that's real, I made notes on that. What a whiny, what a whiny little wimp. He is. Just listen to him going, oh, don't embarrass me in front of this. This is I come here all the time. Just the disgusting manipulation and and, and the way that it was just, I mean, he's a, he was a master manipulator. Yeah. And I'll bet he was a bully to men as well. Like I would bet that if you did business with Harvey, you'd be a bloke. He would want to dominate you and he would want to subjugate you the same way he did to the women. 
So he just had a special way of doing it with women. There was a, there was the overtone of the of the sexual assault and wanting to dominate that way. But you know, obviously, you don't get to be Harvey Weinstein in a tough business like Hollywood without being some kind of son of a bitch. But just how the other side of him, that weak, whiny, pathetic. How pathetic he was! Yeah, I thought that was part brilliant. Of the grooming, that's part of the grooming yeah. process, isn't it? All that, all that. There's oh, all different seriously? ways to manipulate people, which is you know mm. to blow up at them and make them afraid of you that way. And then the other way is to wheedle and try yeah. to. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he would whipsaw from anger to pleading, and you know all that sort of stuff. So I do remember. Guess what? Well, I'm glad he is where he is. Enjoy yeah, the view, Harvey. I, I how how those orange overalls working for you, son? You're going to be in them for a while. I'm going to cut you out of nose. But I'm just glad that these victims are being able to have the, the ones that feel like they can come forward are being able to, you know, have their voices heard. And hopefully and see, it's such a generous thing, Dean, as you know, from the true crime space, like when one victim comes forward, they don't even know it. But they're saving so many other people. Mm. Just this a huge cascading ripple effect. So that's why I'm so weirdly proud oh. of this film <laughs> speaking of highlights and speaking of like impacts like the the scene where where uh jody Cantor takes the call from ashley judd and says mm-hmm. yes i mean wow yeah what a moment that was yeah it's like okay now the ducks are starting to fall into you know into into row into line into line or ducks in a row whatever. Now now the whatevers are starting to fall into line. So that was sort of okay. Now that and they were all excited, you know, because they yeah. Patricia Clark's and Andre Brower's characters. Um, his name was Dean, of course. <laughs> so he must be a good guy, Andre Brower. <laughs> So I really hope y'all that are listening, you know, please go out and see the mm. film. Other oh, one thing I was going to say is as far as the low box office numbers, you know, it is such a such an unfair thing because this film isn't built to be a juggernaut, as we've already mm. said. But I'm wondering, Dean, because, you know, Billy Eichner's film that came out now, I can't remember now, like a month or so ago called Bros. You know, it also kind of got slammed, not because it wasn't a good movie, but because it didn't have this big box office weekend and i kind of wonder because i don't know if people are realizing when something is streaming and when you know something that's going to be streaming on hbo and when it's going to be in the theaters unless it's a big you know black panther sometimes i wonder if people can even really discern if this is something that you're going to walk out of your house you know obviously covid is still out there i just had COVID and then <laughs> there's this other RSV virus. I mean, you know, people are being more careful about what they're going to see and what they're not going to. I'm just wondering if, you know, that kind of plays into it too, that this is something that's that you might want to watch kind of, you know, snuggled under a blanket, watch you know, streaming on your Yeah, uh, I mean, device. look, uh, I, I, funnily enough, I came back uh, home and my wife said, how was it? Uh, and I said, it was really, really good. And she said, okay, like worth like worth watching. And I'm like, yeah. And then I looked and, and I thought, well, how much do you lose by it not being on the big screen versus watching it on your, you know, 65-inch at home? Probably not a lot in the case of this film. But I'm glad I went along and I'm glad I paid my money at the box office to give it a little bit of box office and give it a little bit of love yeah. and to be, you know, a, you know, a micro contributor to its box office because I think it is such – uh, it, it is such an important film and it's just so beautifully rendered. So yeah. yeah, I was, I came out thinking I already knew everybody. It's one of those films. Like everybody knows the story. Everybody knows what happens. They've read the papers. They've heard the podcast. They've, 
you know, they've read the book, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's 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 getting the appreciation for the the unique lens that that book and that screenplay bring to the story. And for that, I was very very pleased to have gone to the cinema and, and seen if it. So nothing else, encourage you, know, you to do the same. Yeah, I mean, during this holiday season, you know, once you've taken the kids to all the big box office things, and you know, <laughs> do do you know, take your mom, take your sister, take your best friend. Take somebody with you to see mm. this film because I wonder if it won't start some really interesting conversations and possibly open up a space for trust and maybe a disclosure that somebody may have been holding on to. You know, you never know mm. um, what the bravery of the women in this film can help heal and uh, what how, what disclosure can can feel like. So mm. I give it two zammies, two thumbs up, two Oof. zammies. Two big zammies. Two big zammies. From, from Lisa. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Dee, Very thank, much. thank you for jumping on with me. It's so nice for us to just be together and hashing it out. And um, Just know, the two of just us. Just the two of us. And I know you're off to Bali. I wish I was. No, I'm off to, I'm leaving in, what time is it for? I'm leaving in two and a half hours for the airport. I'm off to Malta via Dubai, which Ooh. is a 26-hour transit. So I'm looking forward to that like like a <laughs> hole in the head. And uh, then I'm coming home, but I'm yes, I'm stopping off in via um, Bali and taking a week of mental health uh, in a tiny little town on the north coast of country Bali called Ahmed. And there's no reason to be in Ahmed except unless you want to go free diving. So I'm going to go free diving oh, and do amazing. yoga and eat vegan and re-kickstart re, re my free diving after COVID, which has been absent because there was none. Yeah. Well, you have a safe trip and thank you all for listening and for your support of the podcast. I really appreciate your, your, your notes and your posts. And um, thank you for being part of our little killer casting community. So for now, this is killer casting signing off. Killer casting is a concept created by her Lisa Zambetti. It is produced by me, Dean Laffin. Logo art by my beautiful wife, April Laffin. Audio editing by him, Sean at choicevoiceproductions.com. And our theme music, We Are Beautiful, comes from them. That would be Hollywood Legends Amphibious Zoo Music. Until next time, Killer Casting out.